Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're in Chapter 10 of the book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. Chapter 10 is all about merit, and we're going to be discussing what is merit and how to accumulate merit and how it relates to this topic of gamma that we talked about last week. So I'm glad that you're here. I'd like to welcome everyone, whether you're on Facebook, YouTube, Zoom, or you're listening to this on our podcast or any of the other places that we send out content to. This particular topic is something that can be really, really helpful for your practice. Not only are we going to be talking about merit, but we're going to be talking about generosity and we're going to be talking about what we call the way of practice these three aspects of the way of practice. And all of these things are really interconnected, whether we're talking about merit, generosity, gamma, or the way of practice, there's this connection between all of these things. So we're gonna be talking about all of that and helping you to understand it very clear and very crisp, and then giving you a chance to ask any questions, of course, as we go throughout our talk. So let's go ahead and get started. The first thing I would like to share is I'd like to just invite all of you to go to this website, buddhadailywisdom.com forward slash free Buddha books. There's been a new release of the book that we're using for our classes. And I was gonna wait until the end of the group learning program to release it and start doing classes with that book. But there's some really good content that has been added. There's over 80 new pages to the book. And I would like to just invite all of you guys to download it. It's also available in print form through Amazon as well. And the links are available at the same place, buddhadailywisdom.com forward slash free Buddha books. And you're welcome to take the PDF and print it yourself or do whatever you'd like with it. But I would like to just direct you to that because the chapters, not only have they been expanded, but some of them have been changed in order. So when we get into chapter 12, it's not going to be the same chapter as the book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. Between chapters 12 and 19, there's been kind of a reshuffling of the chapters in order to kind of have them lay out a little bit more succinctly and sequentially in a way that really helps people to learn them better. So I encourage you to go download this book either now, if you're listening to this at a time where you can actually go download it or at some other time, because as we get going in the program, there's gonna be extra content in there that you're gonna be interested to read. And like I mentioned, the chapters are going to be reordered. So you might get a bit confused if you're using the old book. With that said, let's talk about our topic today, which is merit. The way to understand merit 
is to understand it through gamma. What merit is, is merit is wholesome gamma that we create through supporting the teachings of Gautama Buddha, through making offerings of our time, our effort, our energy, our resources. And we make these offerings to virtuous ordained practitioners or anyone who's attained one of the four stages of enlightenment. The Buddha referred to this group of individuals as the Aryan Sangha. Aryan is translated nowadays to mean noble and Sangha is translated to mean community. So he considered this group of people to be the noble community, the people who have accomplished the most in terms of their development of their practice. And it's through sharing offerings with this group of people that the teachings can continue into the world because as people are becoming more and more enlightened, oftentimes within that community, those are the people who are going to be teaching and have the most clear teachings to be able to help other people to attain enlightenment. So the Buddha suggested and taught that we should provide support to this group of people in order to help support the teachings, encourage the teachings, and bring them further and further into the world for the benefit of all beings. So there's offerings that you can make of financial support, of supplies, like here in Thailand, people will take supplies to temples or take supplies to teachers, like microphones or books or meditation cushions, things like this. People also offer food and help the teachers to sustain their life because anybody who is really progressing or has progressed on this path and offering these teachings in a way that is based on what Gautama Buddha shared, they're not going to be interested in making gobs and gobs and gobs of money. And even if they did make money, they would use it for the benefit of other people because by the time you get to enlightenment, material possessions and wealth doesn't have the same interest in the mind. The being knows that you need money in order to sustain your life and you need things like food to sustain your life, but you don't need an enormous amount of it. You just need a little bit to sustain your life. So this is why Gautama Buddha left the royal palace and essentially became homeless and just lived off the generosity of the people in the community. And they offered him supplies and food and their time and their effort and shelter. During his lifetime, there was no ability for monks to hold on to money. He didn't allow them to have gold or silver or any kind of money whatsoever. And just to live off of food, clothing, shelter, the medical supplies that people gave in the community because there was no real need for money. Where nowadays, we've gotten to a point in our society where you kind of just need a little bit of money just to get on a bus and go down the street. So monks nowadays and teachers who share these teachings, we do need financial support in order to continue to sustain the teachings because it costs money to host classes. And if there wasn't any support from the community, then the teachings wouldn't be able to be offered. But you don't need to actually be rich and wealthy in order to accumulate this merit. But there's a need to provide some kind of support or some kind of benefit to the community in order to help to support the teachings going forward. Because the only reason why you or I actually have access to these teachings today is that for the last 2,500 years, 
people have been making offerings to support these teachings and help them to grow in the world. So people have donated land or supplies or food or shelter or uh, money to uh, print books, for example, and things like this. And without that kind of support, then there wouldn't be the continuation of these teachings. The teachings only continue because people are gaining benefit from them. And as they gain benefit, then because we're aware that it was the people before us who actually supported the teachings to get to where we are, any offerings that you're making is like helping the people behind you who haven't yet come yet to ensure that these teachings are available and around for generations to come. So this merit by making the offering, what you're doing is you're practicing generosity, which you guys are familiar with and know that that's part of this practice, although I'm going to be sharing some of the Buddha's words around this today. Generosity is the antidote to craving, desire, attachment. It's going to help to eliminate that cause of discontentedness in the mind. So anytime practicing generosity with anybody is going to help that. And anytime you practice generosity with anybody, it's going to create wholesome karma. But there's this unique word that we use when we talk about the practice of generosity and creating wholesome karma as it relates to the sharing of these teachings in the world. And we call this merit. And order to get to that first stage of enlightenment in the Buddhist path, there's three fetters that need to be eliminated. One of those fetters is doubt about the teachings. And like I've mentioned in the past, there's oftentimes a bit of healthy doubt when someone first starts learning these teachings because it creates an inquisitive mind. It makes you interested to actually investigate the teachings. But at some point, as you start putting together more and more of the Eightfold Path in your meditation practice, maybe you're starting to move into the jhanas or get a glimpse of what the jhanas are like, the mind gets to a certain point where you know these teachings are improving the condition of the mind. You have no doubt that these teachings are leading to a more peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. The mind isn't there yet. It's not yet enlightened, but you see the progress on this path, and that helps to erode any doubt. Well, as people do that, and you start realizing that, oh my goodness, I've discovered the teachings that are going to completely eradicate discontentedness and the suffering it causes on the entire planet. And the only reason why you're receiving these teachings is because people have supported them for 2,500 years and now they've reached you. So as a way to help eliminate any doubt, eliminate craving, desire, attachment, practice generosity, build this wholesome gamma and create merit, making offerings to teachers and monks and temples and beneficial organizations that are sharing these teachings into the world in a way that's helping others. And Gautama Buddha always used the word virtuous pretty much when he talked about making offerings, because if you can imagine a Buddha teaching, by the time he you know, got midway or toward the end of his teaching career and he was about to die, there must have just been thousands and thousands and thousands of people that were learning from him. And everybody's at different points in their practice. Some people are just kind of casual observers versus others are kind of more intrigued and more interested, really investigating and working hard to learn and practice the teachings. Others are actually already enlightened or really close to it. And he always talked about making offerings to virtuous 
ordained practitioners or virtuous teachers because if you just made offerings to you know anybody you don't necessarily know where the money's going you don't necessarily know that that person is using it for good wise choices and it wouldn't be a wise choice for you to just give it away to anybody who's maybe sharing these teachings because they may be not sharing them in a way that's really beneficial to people but also if you never shared any kind of money or time or effort or other supplies with people who are sharing these teachings then you're holding on to it too tight and you kind of still have some doubt about the teachings and you're not quite sure whether these teachings are beneficial or not because the mind isn't even willing to support them isn't even willing to perhaps make a generous offering or continuous generous offerings as a way to support your own learning and your own growth let alone you know helping people behind you so we have this unique way of referring to this generosity that's being practiced in order to make these offerings to the Aryan Sangha or the noble community. One of the ways that you can think about this is, as I mentioned, a way to help you to eliminate doubt, help you eliminate craving, desire, attachment, help other people behind you to progress and actually get access to these teachings. All of these things are beneficial and it's why it creates wholesome gamma because our practice is all about our own independent progress in this journey. But through sharing your resources or your time or your effort or energy to help these teachings continue in the world, then you're also helping the world as well. Even though you focus on your own practice and your own independent journey with these teachings, there is this interconnectivity between all of us and by more and more people learning and practicing these teachings, the world does become a more kinder, more gentle, more peaceful place to exist. But keeping in mind that it's an independent practice, but through supporting these teachings, we do help the world become a better place. So let me pause here and see if you guys have any questions about merit or any of the other things that we've been talking about so far before we go further in our discussion. If you'd like to ask a question while you're in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, you can put that in the comment section and our moderators will see that. Or if you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions directly. Hi, David. Given that merit is essentially generosity that is going toward sharing the teachings, is it essentially the most powerful comment that we can generate? The most powerful, the most beneficial karma that you can generate is doing meditation. That's the highest quality of wholesome karma is breathing mindfulness meditation first, and then loving kindness is the second. And these are directly from the Buddha. And the reason why is because, and this is why you don't have to be rich or super wealthy. It's not about the the amount of money you give, it's about generating wholesome gamma. Yes, you need to generate wholesome gamma, but there's also this merit of contributing to the continuation of the teachings. And one of the ways that we produce wholesome gamma and one of the ways that we create the continuation of the teachings is by focusing on our own practice and reducing the harm that we're causing in the world. So by meditating, you're actually reducing the harm that you cause in the world because you're training your mind. And this produces wholesome gamma. But you're not producing merit when you're meditating. You're producing wholesome gamma, but you're not producing merit. 
in order to produce merit, you would need to actually share your time, effort, energy, or resources with people who are sharing the teachings into the world and looking to help others through these teachings. Thank you, David. Let's go to Manal now, who has a question. Thank you, David. Can merit be transferred? Merit cannot be transferred to another person. Just like wholesome karma can't be transferred to another person, you can't transfer merit. This is a big misunderstanding in the Buddhist community, even here in Thailand. They have a little ceremony that some temples will do at the end of some offering or some event. They have these little urns and these little water that they will pour out, and they think that they're transferring their merit to their dead relatives. And this is a ceremony. There's just no way that pouring out a little water is going to transfer merit to any particular person because the primary thing that's happening when you're practicing generosity, the primary thing is that you're working on eliminating craving, desire, and attachment. That's the number one thing. And that's the number one goal of this whole practice, aside from accumulating wisdom, right, is eliminating the craving, desire, attachment. So when someone's being generous and they're sharing their time, effort, energy, and resources to create merit and share the teachings into the world, what they're doing is they're producing less and less craving because they're letting go of the things that they normally might hold on to. So that's why you can't transfer it to someone else because the benefit that you're receiving and practicing generosity, which ultimately is merit in this case, if it's to the noble community, the benefit is all in your mind, is that you're training the mind to let go. And there's no way to transfer that to somebody else. Thanks, David. Those are all the questions we have at this moment. Okay. So let's go further into this and talk about, or at least share some of Gautama Buddha's words. I, I got some of his words just to share some introductory things with you about what the Buddha shared about generosity and uh, sharing, kind of giving and sharing. He has some other teachings on merit as well, and I put one or two of them in the new book. So when you download that new book in chapter 10, you're gonna see some more content that I've written, as well as some more teachings from Gotama Buddha along the lines of merit. And I've done that throughout a lot of the chapters, is added more of my own words and added more of Gotama Buddha's words. But here, Let's share this, which generosity is just the act of generosity to train the mind to let go of craving, desire, attachment, which if you're making an offering or if you're sharing some time, effort, energy, or resources with just anyone in the world, this is generosity. But if you're sharing with that noble community, the ordained practitioners or anyone who's attained one of the four stages of enlightenment, then you're creating merit with your generosity, which produces wholesome gamma. So there's kind of like two branches here. There's generosity to anybody, which produces wholesome gamma. And then there's generosity, which produces merit, which produces wholesome gamma, right? And it just depends on who you're actually sharing with and who you're being generous with. So here, just kind of talking about generosity in general, the Buddha talks about, you know, what is accomplishment in generosity? And what is accomplishment in generosity? Here, a noble disciple resides at home with a mind free 
from the stain of selfishness, freely generous, open-handed, joyful in letting go, devoted to charity, joyful in giving and sharing. This is called accomplishment and generosity. So when you make offerings, if you're making an offering to the noble community, as we're talking about, the Buddha talks about that you should have a joyful mind before the offering. Like you should be producing joy in the mind. It's something that you're interested in doing based on your own interest and your mind is joyful because of that. When you actually make the offering, the mind maintains that joy. And then after the offering, you still have joy as well. So that there's no guilt or shame that comes into the mind. Like, oh, I didn't give enough or, oh, I gave too much. So he talks about these three phases of giving. It's not here, but I just share this with you. That if we are making generous offerings and you're not having this joy come into the mind, then you need to arise that joy. You need to take right effort to actively arise the wholesome quality of joy in your giving because that's what's going to help produce the mind to be joyful in giving and sharing and living open-handedly. And that's where the real benefits are going to come from. Whereas if the mind's disgruntled and I don't really want to give, I'm just going to give because uh, the teacher said to or because my husband or wife or kids told me to do it, I'm just going to do it because they said it. Then you're not going to get the benefits of letting go of that craving, desire, attachment because you don't really want to do it. You're just doing it just because it was told of you to do it. So the mind before the offering is made needs to find joy and be joyful in this act of generosity to produce merit. And then when somebody's actually doing the giving, there needs to be the same thing. There needs to be this joyfulness that, yes, I'm pleased to be able to make this offering. And then after the offering's done and you go on with your day, the mind needs to maintain that joy and see what you did as a wholesome thing and a wholesome outcome. So that's important in terms of residing at home without selfishness, freely generous, right? That's the freely generous. That's those three stages that the Buddha talks about in giving any kind of gift or offering, living open-handed, joyful in letting go, devoted to charity, joyful in giving and sharing. And now here's another one from the Buddha as well. This one is a bit more descriptive. The first one was a little bit more general. This one is titled, If Beings Knew the Result of Giving and Sharing. Monks, if beings knew, as I know, the results of giving and sharing, they would not eat without having given, nor would the stain of selfishness obsess them and take root in their mind. Even if it were their last bite, their last mouthful, they would not eat without having shared it if there were someone to share it with. But because beings do not know, as I know, the results of giving and sharing, they eat without having given, and the stain of selfishness obsesses them and takes root in their mind. Okay, so here the Buddha is talking about how he has realized enormous benefits in giving and sharing, even as a Buddha. Even as a Buddha, a Buddha is going to give and share. 
he's not done. He's still practicing, right? This path to enlightenment, and we talk about attaining enlightenment or pursuing enlightenment. There is no finish line. When the mind has moved into enlightenment, you're still going to be generous. You're still going to be giving and sharing. So even as a Buddha, he would still be giving and sharing with other people. He's sharing his time, effort, energy, and resources in enormous ways just to share the teachings. That takes an enormous amount of time, effort, and energy and resources to share teachings with others and have the patience to do so. That's one of the reasons why a Buddha can be so successful is that their mind is so highly enlightened that they do have the patience to be able to share these teachings into the world and they've extinguished all other craving, desire, attachment. They don't have the desire to go here, go there, do this, do that. Their only interest is to share the teachings in the world and they do it without craving, desire, attachment and they do it with patience to help as many people as possible out of their own loving kindness and compassion. So he is reporting here to the monks essentially the results of giving and sharing as leading to his enlightenment essentially. And because people are unaware of the results that can be attained through giving and sharing, then he's talking about that people do become obsessed. They eat without having given. They have the stain of selfishness. They allow this obsession to take root in the mind, this obsession of selfishness. And this only keeps the mind defiled. It keeps the pollution in the mind because the mind wants to hold on. So the more that you live open-handedly and let go of any selfishness and realize this interconnectivity between all beings, then you can find that middle where you're not holding on to things real tight, but you're also not just kind of giving away everything that you've got as well. You need to find that middle where you sustain your existence, your family's existence, the people close to you, and then you also ensure that you're sharing with people in the community and sharing with people who are sharing the teachings into the world. As I mentioned, it doesn't have to always be money. It can be time, effort, or energy towards helping the the teachings to be supported in the world so that others can benefit from them. So let me pause here and see if you guys have any questions on the Buddha's words that I've shared. I was wondering, David, you mentioned that we should give free of the stain of selfishness, as you pointed out in the Buddha's words. If we are still working on that root of greed and we give anyhow, are we still contributing to positive karma, essentially? Is that still an act of positive karma? Yeah, it's still helping you because just like we talk about aversion where there's like this wall or we talk about like hate or anger where there's a wall between you and other people and you have to kind of break through that wall even though the mind doesn't want to practice loving kindness with this person you kind of have to pull up your boots and just be loving and kind and just do it and even though the mind doesn't necessarily feel it just do it if you're not used to practicing generosity it can be a bit challenging for the mind the mind can be holding on and you might want to start with small things right you're with a group of friends you pop open a bag of potato chips and you're like hey would you like a a chip and you just kind of get used to sharing food when you're around other people or you get used to uh, sharing when you go into a restaurant and you have 
your family at a table. Maybe you uh, share some of your food uh, with your family at a table, someone who's really close to you and it's really easy for you to practice generosity with. And then as you do those more and more, then it becomes easier and easier for you to share with others that maybe aren't close to you and people that haven't necessarily been part of your life. But if you're learning these teachings from anybody, then that person is putting in an enormous amount of time, effort, energy, and resources to share the teachings with you. And the best way to help you with your craving, desire, attachment, and to help whoever's sharing the teachings with you to be able to meet the goals that they have and the needs that they have in order to share the teachings would be to make regular and continuous offerings. It's not just something you do once a year or twice a year. you got to get used to practicing merit regularly to be generous and practice merit, but also practicing generosity in general with everybody around you. You just have to get used to always sharing and sharing and sharing where the mind isn't interested to hold on to anything. So while the goal and while we receive the greatest benefits and generosity by giving with a mind free of craving, even if we do still have some level of craving, giving can help us reach that level where we eliminate craving essentially. Yeah, you're not going to be a enormous giver from the beginning, especially depending on what conditioning you have in your mind as you grew up in the world, depending on how you look at things. I know in my family, when I was growing up, I was taught to never give anybody anything. You know, that was kind of like what we were taught growing up. I mean, we were taught to share amongst ourselves, but in terms of like giving money or giving supplies to other people, that wasn't really promoted in our family. And we were kind of looked down upon situations where we needed to give to others. We're like, well, can't that person take care of themselves? Why do I have to give to them? So I grew up with a lot of conditioning of not giving and not sharing uh, in terms of outside of our immediate family. And even inside of our family, because we weren't sharing externally with other people inside of our family, even though we were kind of told to share, it didn't really come easy. You know, I remember times when I was young, my mom would go to the store and buy all kinds of groceries. And right away, you know, we would find the things that we like, like Oreo cookies or snack cakes, and we would hide them from each other. You know, like my sister and I, we would, we would have our little hiding spots so that it was only for me or only for her. So even though we were taught to share, we didn't really do it because it wasn't really understood why. You know, we, we weren't really understanding why. So not only do we have conditioning a lot of times from our family in terms of that, but also we have this conditioning depending on which environments and which communities you grew up in in terms of traditions and teachings like this. There are some communities that their only interest is to kind of promote and build wealth within their community to build buildings and do things. And there's even certain people who accumulate a lot of wealth just for sharing teachings in the world. These multimillionaires who are sharing certain teachings into the world and it becomes uh, everybody giving money to that one person and then this person becomes super rich and super wealthy rather than actually helping others with that money. But in the Buddhist tradition, anybody who's sharing these teachings, you shouldn't see them you know, wearing Rolex watches and they shouldn't even have any Rolex watches. Not that they're a bad person or wrong, but anyone who's close to enlightenment or enlightened, 
they're not going to find any value in having a Rolex watch versus a Timex watch. They're just would be interested in telling the time. It doesn't matter the brand. And this is why the monks wear very simple, very basic clothing. Uh, this is why you see people who are sharing these teachings will oftentimes just wear very basic, very simple clothing. Because when people are supporting the teachings, they're supporting the teachings. And sure, the teacher is going to need to buy some food, buy some clothes, take care of their living arrangements and things like that. But if there's any extra money, what you oftentimes see people doing is putting money into books or other charitable projects. So even though they might be servicing, say, 5,000 or 10,000 people, if there's a lot of money coming in, that teacher will use a little bit of it for their own life and sustaining their own life. But if there's anything left, then they will find ways to use that in the community and helping others. It won't be an accumulation of money in their bank account because, as I mentioned, during the lifetime of the Buddha, the monks didn't even have money. And even nowadays, a lot of the monks who are practicing really well, they will have somebody else take care of their money. They won't actually hold money much themselves. So for me, because I'm a household practitioner and a teacher, yeah, I have a bank account, but it's nowhere near where it was when I was in business. But if I thought that having all that money that I had when I was a businessman was going to lead to something beneficial, I would have stayed being a business person and making all the gobs and gobs of money that I did. But by living off a very minimal amount of money, you actually significantly attend to your needs rather than what you want. You just take care of the things that you need and live in the present moment. You no longer assign any prestige or you no longer gain any excitement or happiness if your bank account has one balance or it has another balance. It doesn't matter what's in the bank account. What matters is that your mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So the offerings that come in from various people who are supporting a teacher, you should notice that that person isn't living in a lap of luxury, that they're instead just using a little bit of that money to sustain their life. And then if there's any left over, they might find ways to benefit others through the offerings that have come in. It seems, David, that most of us across cultures and traditions have been told about giving and encouraged to give for the benefit of others, essentially. But it seems like what the Buddha is really pointing out is not only are we benefiting others through giving, but we're also benefiting ourselves and our own mind. And that seems like a very important point. Yes, and that's why there needs to be continuous offerings. If you just made an offering once a year at a temple or once a year to your teacher, it doesn't have the same effect as if you made continuous offerings throughout the month or throughout a certain period of time. That act of giving continuously helps train the mind better than if you just kind of made one offering a year or once every six months. So this is why the Buddha would walk down the street every day and he would just walk. And then every day there's people who are giving food and they have that here today in Thailand. Whereas if you're here in Thailand and you go out in the morning, 
you'll see that the monks just walk down the street and, and they just carry a bowl. And there'll be people who come out of their businesses, they come out of their houses, and every single day they give a little bit of sticky rice or a bottle of water or a little bit of curry or something like this, you know, like 50 cents or a dollar, two dollars. Some people make much larger offerings. Usually they'll go into the temple to do that. But there's people who just make offerings every single day in order to practice generosity and get used to letting go. And that's producing merit, of course. But then also what you'll notice is that because the ties do that, because they practice producing merit. Also, if you go to a Thai restaurant, oftentimes after you eat, free fruit comes out. You didn't order anything. It just shows up. Because Thais are very generous with their time, effort, energy, and resources, because they're used to practicing generosity and producing merit with the monks, it also moves into and it influences their day-to-day decisions when they're interacting with people as well. So because you may not live in a community where you can go out on the street and give food to a monk or something like that, you can still create wholesome gamma by practicing generosity through sharing with your friends and your family and things like that. And I'm pretty sure that most of you guys know that you're welcome to send donations to me if you'd like, but that's a personal choice for you. I never ask for that, but I have it set up since students asked uh, a couple of years ago to be able to do that. But when I first started teaching these teachings again here in Chiang Mai, I didn't have a way for people to make donations to me. In fact, when students would ask me, I was teaching classes here in, in Chiang Mai for about a good year or so before I moved online. When students would ask, I would just tell them, give the money to the temple. Because at that time, I still had a little bit of money in the bank account from when I was in business. And then more and more people kept asking to give me donations and I just kept erecting them to the temple. And then eventually the bank account was like really low and I didn't have any money. I realized that I was going to need to start accepting donations or else I wasn't going to be able to sustain my life. So I started to accept some donations here in Chiang Mai. And then once I started moving on to online, students started asking for ways to donate money. So that's why I set up the PayPal and things like that for people to be able to do that. And you should do that regularly. And it doesn't necessarily have to be with me, but if you would like to make offerings to me, you can. But you should practice generosity regularly with your friends, your family, with your teachers, people who are benefiting your life. Remember, time, effort, energy, and resources as well. And you can decide where is that middle for you. And it's going to be really revolutionary for your mind. It's going to help train your mind to let go of craving, desire, attachment. Thank you, David. Let's go to Basim now for our Zoom questions. And I'd like to welcome Basim back from his recent trip. Hey, thanks, James. A question from Makersi. She says, would tithing to a church be considered generosity or merit? We think of merit as supporting Gautama Buddha's teachings. If you gave offerings or you gave a a donation to a, a church, this is definitely generosity. But this word merit has special meaning within the Buddhist teachings that it's in support of the teachings to support and share the teachings of the Buddha in the world. Okay, a question from Theresa. She says, is it also important 
to give without judgment and to give for the sake of giving and not to make ourselves feel better. There's a couple of things here to share with you is that the giving and sharing should be something that you feel good about doing and that you're doing it because you see the value in doing it. You shouldn't judge in terms of the way that I define judgment is looking down on people with arrogance, but you should look at that someone is virtuous, right? Like, let's just say I taught these classes every once in a while. Let's say that I have this schedule, but I show up late. I, you know, every once in a while, or, or, or you know, I'm kind of missing classes here or there. Let's say I'm showing up drunk or intoxicated. Even if I'm sharing Buddhist teachings, this isn't a virtuous teacher, right? Who's doing this. If they're showing up uh, intoxicated, if they're not being diligent in terms of showing up for class and having schedules and having books and having things that can be given to people to help them learn and grow. Maybe you ask a question and like three weeks later, the person gets back to you about the answer to the question. So it's not looking down on somebody or judging them to say, this person's practice isn't to the point where I feel I should support this because they're not yet at a point where they would be considered virtuous. They're not practicing good moral conduct, which we're gonna get into next. So you should look for people who are virtuous and share your offerings with them because those people have built up their practice to a point where they're in a position to help wider and wider audiences of people. So by making your offering to virtuous practitioners and teachers and monks and female ordained practitioners, by making your offerings to them, it's going to be put to better use than say someone who's showing up drunk to class because obviously they are using money to support their habit of using intoxicants. So you wouldn't be interested in having your money go to that. So you should look for virtuous practitioners, which are practicing good moral conduct, but never in terms of judging whether someone's good or bad or looking down on anyone with arrogance. Question from Holly. She says, same thoughts as Theresa. If giving is based on genuine generosity, but then the person shows their gratitude and that makes you feel good about giving and that makes you want to give more. Isn't there a risk of giving for that good feeling or for ego? How would one counter this? Is giving anonymously is a good idea? That's where your mindfulness comes into play, Holly, is that if you're aware that you're only giving because it makes you feel pleasant feelings, and then when you're not giving, the feelings go away, or if you're giving because of ego and you want everybody to know you're giving, then with your own awareness of mind and observing that, you have to cut that off and know that you're giving because it's a good thing to do to train your mind to let go and to let go of craving, desire, attachment. Know that you're making a wise decision in terms of sharing it with someone who's virtuous. But I'm sure that when you first start practicing that you are going to notice some pleasant feelings arising due to making an offering or you might feel the ego coming in that pride or that arrogance 
coming in because of the offering. And where you see that, you've got to cut it off. Just like if you were proud because you got a new car and you parked it in your driveway and your neighbors were gawking at it, you've got to have awareness of that and cut that off. Just like as if you make an offering, you've got to be unaffected by that as well. Thanks, teacher. No more questions for now. Yeah, it comes down to your own practice with that. And one of the things that I used to do when I was a business person in America is I used to give offerings regularly to the local temple. And a lot of the students would put money together and then I would put money in as well. We would give offerings, you know, a thousand dollars or more every month to the temple. I wasn't even going to that temple or benefiting from it at all. I just felt like it was a, a good thing to do is to share some money with the community because the community was coming into the business and using the business. And even before I even understood how generosity was improving the condition of the mind, I just felt like it was a beneficial thing to give money and help the local community through supporting the temple. And then I also used my time, effort, and energy back then as well. And during those times, I had a whole lot of money because I was a business person. So I tended to share a lot of money. And I, I did share time, effort, and energy as well. And then as I transitioned and I stopped being a business person, and now I, I don't really have any money, but I have all this time. So I share enormous amounts of my time putting together these books and these classes and spending one-on-one -on -one time with students and all the different things that I do to share these teachings into the world. So I share a lot of time, effort, and energy with people. So you've got to find that middle, and it's not always going to be the same. When I was a business person, the middle for me was, yeah, I could afford to give you know several hundred dollars of my own money plus the student's money to the local temple. And then I could also afford to take my employees, I would pay my employees to go places and do massages for people for free. And the people would make donations and we would just give the donations to the temple. I could do those kind of things because I was really well taken care of financially before. And I used my time, effort, energy and resources back then to do that. Not realizing what it was actually doing was helping to train my mind to let go. Where now using time, effort, energy, and resources still, still practicing generosity, being as generous as possible in terms of creating the Facebook group and videos and podcasts and all the different things. I still need to practice generosity and continue to give and share all the different things that I have, time, effort, energy, and resources as well. So it can really revolutionize your mind in terms of training the mind to let go of any craving, desire, or attachment. So let's talk about the way of practice because all of what we've been talking about so far leads into what we call the way of practice. And this is generosity, moral conduct, and meditation. This is essentially your way of practice. You know that the Buddhist teachings has kind of like this plethora of teachings and then they're kind of grouped and organized in different ways, depending on what it is that the Buddha was talking about. So here, this particular grouping of his teachings, we call the way of practice. And this is how we actually practice in terms of our own individual practice and how these teachings get sustained in the world for all the benefit of all beings. It all starts with generosity. 
if there wasn't generosity, if there wasn't people for the last 2,500 years that were willing to spend their time, effort, energy, and resources to support these teachings, then they wouldn't have continued because there is no centralized organization that collects all these teachings and shares them out into the world. It's just a kind of a, a loose group of people that are all doing their own individual things and different communities surround different teachers and then practicing generosity. The teacher should be practicing generosity to give their time, effort, energy, and resources, and they're giving out into the world. And then the students and people who are learning and benefiting from their teaching are also sharing their time, effort, energy, and resources. And as a community, we're all building this knowledge and this wisdom to be able to help more and more people to attain enlightenment. So without generosity from the teacher and from the students, nothing else happens. It all has to start with generosity. And the way that you can think about generosity is a readiness of taking action to frequently give something more than is strictly necessary, like time, effort, or financial support. So generosity, no one's ever going to tell you in this practice to do something to practice generosity. It has to be initiated from your own free will. But this is how you can think about generosity in general, but then also directed towards any teachers who are sharing the teachings into the world, is having a readiness or a willingness to take action to frequently give and share your time, effort, or financial support. With that generosity of the teacher being willing to share their time, effort, energy, and resources in the community of students to share their time, effort, energy, and resources, then one of the things that is being taught is moral conduct or virtuous behavior. This is that moral conduct part of the Eightfold Path, right speech, right action, and right livelihood. By learning moral conduct and improving your speech your action and your livelihood, that's going to improve your practice, your life practice to develop your practice further and further and closer and closer to enlightenment. And then as part of that, there's this meditation or this mental discipline that comes along with that, that upper part of the Eightfold Path, specifically right concentration. So these three things are going together and for moral conduct or virtuous behavior. You can think about this as someone who's kind of acting upon or holding high principles of proper conduct. And it's the Buddhist teachings that are sharing that moral conduct with us to help us understand how to produce wholesome gamma, how to practice this moral conduct so that we can improve our life, improve the condition of our mind. And without those teachings, we wouldn't be able to actually improve the condition of the mind or the condition of our life. And then that meditation of that technique, that active, purposeful, dedicated practice of training the mind in a purposeful training session, that's something that we teach as part of this program. Without all three of these things together, a person wouldn't be able to attain enlightenment. They would need to practice generosity as a way of letting go and training the mind to let go. They would need to support the teachings and share the teachings in order to help erode any doubt that they have about the teachings, help to lift the mind up and be more joyful. Then there needs to be this moral conduct 
that we practice in the world. And then there's this mental discipline or this meditation. The Buddha never taught it this way that I'm about to explain, but I will share this with you guys in terms of the natural law of gamma. With all of this starting with generosity, with people being willing to give and share and help each other, and this moral conduct and this meditation being taught in the world, by improving one's moral conduct and by learning the meditation techniques, training the mind and improving your life, you're actually practicing in the world better. And what you'll see over the course of two, three, five, six years is because your moral conduct's better, because you understand these teachings and you're meditating, you'll actually see that your ability to actually earn money is actually going to improve. Whereas if you didn't understand right speech and you didn't understand right action and you didn't understand right livelihood as part of moral conduct, then you're gonna really struggle in life to actually produce any kind of income or any kind of life-sustaining money or financial support to support your own life. Without meditation and training the mind in meditation, you would also find it very difficult in your personal and professional relationships. And you probably have experienced that in the past. But the more that you improve your moral conduct, the more that you improve your meditation, it's going to improve your life and it's going to improve the way that you're able to then function in the world and you'll have more and more opportunities to be able to sustain your life with ways to support your income and uh, support your life through financial support. So while this all starts with generosity and the willingness to share, through that sharing comes this improved moral conduct, improved meditation. And with that improved moral conduct and meditation, it improves the ability to create more income, which allows us to be able to share and have more generosity with more people in the world. So this is almost like a cyclical effect that without one, then the others don't happen. So I talked recently about like a log jam. The mind, the unrelated mind is kind of like a log jam. Everything's kind of like jammed up. And you gotta start pulling out these logs in order for everything to shuffle and shift. And it's that act of generosity of some teacher choosing that, okay, I'm gonna share my time, effort, and energy and resources to start sharing these teachings with people. And I started doing that whenever I did. And as I started doing that, more and more and more people started to gather. And the more that I've been teaching, the more generous I've needed to be, the more time and effort and energy and resources that I've put into sharing. But then also that's attracted more people who are willing to then make offerings and support the work that I'm doing. And then through sharing those teachings, people are learning moral conduct, which is improving their life and their personal and professional relationships. They're learning meditation, along with a lot of other teachings that we share in these programs. And then because the students are seeing the benefit in their life and in their life practice from this, that says, okay, I'm on the right path. I'm learning something that's the truth. This teacher is really benefiting me. So let me be generous and share. And this whole cycle just continues to flow. It's the natural law of gamma. And that's the way of practice. This is the way that we bring the teachings into the world. This is the way that we bring the teachings into our mind and we improve the condition of the mind and the condition of our life. Without these three things, this log jam is just gonna stay jammed up. The world's just going to be a darker and darker, more and more miserable place because 
Nobody's willing to share. Nobody's willing to improve their moral conduct. And nobody's meditating. And the world just becomes a darker and darker place. So as a conscious community of practitioners, we have to be the ones who are moving the logs and starting to break up this log jam by starting with the generosity and making sure that we're sharing our time, effort, energy, and resources. And for you guys to be able to learn these teachings, there would have had to have been a teacher that would be willing to do that. So that's why you guys have gathered. That's why you're learning is because there was a teacher who decided, okay, let me start sharing these teachings into the world. And that's starting to remove the logs and break up this log jam and bring some more light into the world. So you would say, David, that as we work on our way of practice and we develop our way of practice, that we can essentially manifest some positivity into the world and and our lives. Yes. So that's what I was mentioning earlier is that, you know, always and forever, you should always be thinking about your own independent practice and improving your own practice because this is an independent journey. But at the same time, you should see this interconnectivity that all beings have, that this cause and effect relationship, this causality, this natural law of gamma, that it's not until we start all truly practicing the teachings slowly but surely more and more people that all this cause and effect starts to improve the world so while you're working on improving your own practice the things that you're doing and the choices that you're making in your own practice is helping the world as well and that's the middle way is that you don't stay selfish but you don't just do nothing to help others as well you find that middle way and everybody's got to find that middle way if they're interested in attaining enlightenment and getting to this point where the mind's letting go of craving. Otherwise, if everyone's holding on because of craving, desire, attachment, expectations and wants and clinging, if everyone's holding on real tightly, nothing budges. The logs stay all jammed up. It's not until people start saying, you know what, I can let go of this five dollars or i can let go of that twenty dollars or i can let go of some time here i can spend a little bit of effort here i can do a little bit of work here i can help this person over here and then as we start practicing more and more generosity it improves the condition of your mind because your mind's letting go and you can practice generosity with anyone in the world but you've also got to make sure that you're sharing and you're practicing generosity with people who are sharing these teachings otherwise the good wholesome teachings that have led you to understand what it is that you need to understand in order to improve the condition of the mind don't continue for other people so there needs to be generosity practiced in all directions but you have to be sure that you find ways to support these teachings in the world as well so given the law of karma is it fair to say that we in some sense create the world around us or contribute to it in a significant way Yes, there's the natural laws of existence, but the world that we live in is based on what we've created. If we choose you know, not to bring these teachings into our communities, then we won't benefit from it. But conversely, if we choose to bring these teachings into our community and we learn them and we practice them, then they're going to improve our life, but it's also gonna improve the life of the people around us as well. And it's our choice to make. You know, we've all grown up how we've grown up. And we know what's out there in the world in terms of 
the difficulties, the struggles, the misery, the suffering. And sure, we try to look at the brighter side. We, we look at the brighter side of life, but we also see that there's rapes, there's murders, there's suicide, there's drug abuse, there's lack of education, there's poverty, there's all these other things in the world that need help and need benefit. And if we always just look out for our own selfish needs, then we're not being a conscious practitioner. We're just holding on to things that we feel are going to be self-serving. So we need to find that middle ground where we're able to sustain our life and the life of the people around us, but we're also sharing and creating a better world around us so that more and more people can have the opportunity to learn these teachings. And that's the only way that the world actually improves and gets better. By improving your practice, yes, that needs to happen. But we also need to find ways to help others. You know, if we're sharing uh, our time, effort, energy, and resources with less fortunate people to help them get access to some books or some classes or something like that, that's really, really helpful for those beings. And we don't have to all come together and make a decision collectively of what we're going to do, but it's an individual decision of when or if there's a time that you feel like you would like to support these teachings or when or if you choose to practice generosity. There's, there's no one in a Buddhist community, or I shouldn't say no one, or at least any communities that I've been around. You know, There's never a time where someone's gonna pass a, a basket around and ask people to give money. It's gotta be your own interest and your own decision, your own free will that you're willing to share with your time, effort, energy, and resources with teachers and also with other people in your life, sharing and training the mind to be joyful in giving and sharing. And when we look at the three prongs of the way of practice, is it accurate to say that we can't develop anyone independent of the others? For instance, without meditation, we can't develop virtuous behavior or generosity. And without virtuous behavior, we can't really deepen our meditation? Is there that type of relationship existing between them? Absolutely. You know, if someone, all they ever did was meditated and they, they went outside and talked harshly to people and aggressively and judgmental to people, their meditation is only going to be able to develop so far. And likewise, if you're trying to improve your moral conduct and you're not meditating, you're only going to be able to get so far with your moral conduct. But what sets all of this into motion is the generosity. Without generosity, you know, nobody's ever going to gain anything. You know, you know, I'm just thinking about my own experience that, you know, at some point I decided, okay, you know, let me spend a year and a half, two years to write a book and let me start giving that away for free. And let me start hanging up signs around the city and inviting people to come in and set up announcements online for people to come study here in Chiang Mai. I didn't have any expectation of wanting or, or needing anything from anyone. I was just interested in sharing. And like I mentioned, initially, the, as people kept offering donations, I just directed them to give it to the temples because that wasn't my interest. But had I never taken those steps and all the countless steps since then, then you guys would have never been able to learn the moral conduct and meditation and all the other things that went with it. So this log jam that the world is in, you know, there needs to be people who decide to start practicing generosity in order to allow these 
teachings to flourish in the world or else no one's ever going to be able to improve their moral conduct. No one's ever going to be able to improve their meditation because there's no teachers who are willing to share because they can't sustain their life. They have to go back to the business world. In fact, that's probably what I would have had to have ended up doing had there not have been people that were willing to support me to a certain degree is I probably would have had to find some other way to sustain my life. You know, therefore, a good year and a half or so, two years, I was working. I was still uh, working and teaching these teachings as well and doing both at the same time. And then about uh, maybe eight or 10 months ago, I got to the point where, okay, I could stop working and just focus on this fully. And that's why now, because of being able to focus on this fully, I've got you know this whole series of 13 books now that I've got. And I've been able to ramp up the programs where before I used to just teach one day a week. And then I went to two days a week. And then I went to three days a week. And now I'm at four days a week. And then I spend as much time as I do supporting the community and the Facebook group because of the generosity of the students and the people who have made offerings have created more and more of a life for me that I'm able to devote more and more time to sharing these teachings with others. So generosity is what unlocks all of this for all of us in the world. Yes, it's also very important to consider that without generosity and merit over the last 2,500 years in regards to these teachings, none of us here would be listening to you or practicing and benefiting from these teachings. We're all dependent upon that past generosity and merit and people to come are dependent on the generosity and merit that we have to offer. Exactly. The people who aren't even born yet, right? Haven't even been born yet. Or people who are five years old or 10 years old, uh, people who are two or three years old, children that can't even read, write, and speak right now. These books that are being produced that I'm writing and that you guys have supported through your donations because by you sustaining me through donations, then it's afforded me the ability to write these books. Those children that are children now and those that aren't even born yet are going to be able to read these books and benefit from them because the Buddhist teachings are timeless. Anything that we do right now, today, in this moment, can be beneficial for many, many years to come. These teachings don't go out of date. They're evergreen. So the one way to think about this is Master Teacher Gautama Buddha over 2,500 years ago, through his enlightenment, he started a grassroots movement. There was only one person who knew anything about enlightenment when he attained enlightenment. And all of the accumulation of all of his teachings and all of his generosity and all the generosity of people over the last 2,500 years have just been accumulating and accumulating and accumulating throughout the world. And these teachings, they don't go bad. There's no expiration date on them. So they'll be able to be taught and retaught. And the challenge that we have in our community, meaning the Westerners, is that these teachings have been primarily in the Pali language or localized languages like Thai. They haven't really been in the English language. It's only been in the last few decades that teachings have started moving into the English language more and more. And even these books, uh, Buddha Wajana, it took 
uh, many, many years for them to create those. And even before these were created, there were books by Bhikkhu Bodhi who spent 27 years translating the Pali Canon into English. And now here I am updating them even more and updating that language even more. So there's just been this accumulation of generosity starting from over 2,500 years ago. And it's because of those people that have done all of that work over the years that we're now in a position that we're building this community and being able to support and encourage and allow more and more people to learn and practice. So any kind of generosity that you practice to produce merit, it's producing wholesome gamma and beneficial results because the world's becoming a better and better place the more and more people who learn and practice these teachings. So your offerings and your donations, your time, effort, energy, and resources are going to support all the people that are yet to come, people that haven't even been born yet. And David, with many of our students celebrating Mother's Day today, I wanted to ask you, what did the Buddha have to say about Mother's Day and how we can honor and perhaps be generous to our own mothers? I don't know that Mother's Day existed during the lifetime of the Buddha, but he definitely taught teachings about parents and and mothers and fathers. They're very instrumental to the world. And the way that I think about it, it's Mother's Day every day is that, you know, I I teach my son to, to respect his mother and be polite and be kind every day. And even when I just see the slightest little thing that's off, I let him know and I point it out to him and I share with him so that he trains his own mind to be loving and kind and respectful to his mom every single day. Here in Thailand, our Mother's Day is August 12th. It's synced up to the Queen's birthday. And on that particular day, what we do is we will go to our mother, we will prepare a bowl of water, and we will pour the water over her feet and over her hands, give her flowers, uh, give her offerings of fruit and uh, food and things like this. Uh, We'll get down on our knees and we do what's called clop or bow or prostrate to her. And we'll give her some kind words and share some kind words with her, thanking her for her support. Because without mothers, you know, we, we could say the world doesn't work, right? The world doesn't continue. Not that the world is going to continue, but without mothers, none of us would be here. So mothers are very important. And the Buddha gives a lot of different teachings about taking care of parents and what we should do for our parents that we get into in the Pali Canon in English program. We talk a little bit about it in chapter 15. Uh, we talk about it, uh, which is about true love. And in there, we talk about parents a bit. So, you know, we need to respect all people and we definitely need to respect mothers, uh, not just on Mother's Day, but every day. Uh, consider every day Mother's Day, every day's Father's Day, that we just don't do special things once a year, but we trickle that stuff out throughout the entire year and make sure that we're always being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful. This is one of the things that I think about when I think about generosity is I think about, you know, yeah, we talk about time, effort, energy, and resources, right? And oftentimes we hear generosity, we think like, money and financial support and things like this. But one of the things that I share with some people is like, you can be generous uh, just by being generous with your smile and just smiling at people. 
and giving uh, generosity that way. One of the things that I do and I've started doing uh, the last few months is every three months I go give blood down at the American Red Cross here in Chiang Mai. I give blood every three months. It doesn't cost me anything to do it other than the gas and the time to go there and do it. This is a way for you to train the mind to let go, to let go, to let go. So whether it's you know your mother or your father or all the other community members in the world is always be looking for ways to help others, but always also understand that this is about your practice and training your mind to let go. And there's lots of ways to do that. And uh, giving blood is one way, training the, the mind to smile, uh, training the mind to give your time, effort, energy, and resources to other people, but then just always finding that middle. Where's the middle for you? And then know that it changes. Like before, when I used to give a lot of money when I was a business person, and then now I don't have that, but I have a lot of time, effort, energy, and able to spend that and share that with people. Well, thank you, David. That's all the questions that we seem to have for today. Okay, well, I'll just in where we actually started, which is inviting you guys to remember about the free books that I'm starting to publish. And this webpage that I created is going to host all the books that I have there, and you can download all of them from one place. I'm going to start updating that and putting the updated translations for the Pali Canon in there. Right now I've got the newest book for the Developing Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. I have the first two books of the words of the Buddha book series in there in terms of the ones with the Pali Canon. And I've still got the other book as well in there if anybody still uh, needs access to that, the original book that I wrote, that's in there as well. So this is gonna be kind of like a online library, so to speak where uh, people can download the books and get access to those. And these are things that I'm doing with my time, my effort and my energy and my resources to put these books together and share them with all of you. And the only reason why I'm able to continue to do this is because you guys are also sharing with me and making offerings. So I would like to thank all of you for sharing your time, effort, energy and resources to help build up these resources and to support me and helping me to be able to have the time to be able to do these things. And there's been lots and lots of people, way too many to actually name, but every month I put a post in the Facebook group of anyone who's made a financial offering or financial donation. I put that in the Facebook group just so I can thank people there publicly uh, once a month. But because of this particular topic, I would like to just take this opportunity for anyone who's in our Facebook, YouTube, Zoom, or listening to this on our podcast or anywhere else. If you guys have been supporting either with your time, effort, energy, or resources, I would just like to say thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'll also thank you on behalf of all the people that are yet to come who aren't even studying with me yet, who someday will be studying because I've decided to devote the rest of my life to sharing these teachings into the world. This is the only thing that I'm gonna be doing for the rest of my life, as long as there's support for me to be able to do that. So anything that you guys are offering in terms of donations, I will use a little bit of that for food, for water, for shelter, for clothing. 
if I need any medical, but I don't really need any medical, just a little bit to sustain my life. And if there's ever any leftover, I will typically use that to purchase printed books and give them to people that aren't able to afford the books. I will send books out to uh, prisons or homeless shelters or places like that. I've sent a lot of them in America. And if you're in a place where you would like to send out books to homeless shelters or addiction recovery centers or prisons or universities or places like this, you can do that. And I have a way of purchasing books at a significant discount as the author, and I can have them shipped to your home and then you can send them out. And that's a way for you to create merit as well. It doesn't have to be just giving money to me. It can be that you actually are looking for ways to share these teachings into the world. And there's been some students that have done that over time that they've contacted me and said, hey, I would like to send 50 books to some prisons throughout the United States. And is that something that you could help me or support me in doing? So because I'm able to purchase these books at a significant discount, it actually increased the number of books that we were able to purchase in that case. So if you would like to support these teachings, you're always welcome to ask me uh, what support that I need. I will never ask you for a donation. I will never ask you for support. I will never specifically tell you to support one thing or another. But if students step forward and they ask me, you know, David, how can I support you? What things can you use or what things could you benefit from? Then at that point, I'm able to share it with you. But because of the precepts that we practice, particularly that second precept that we need to await what is given, I'm unable to ask you for any kind of money. That's not how these teachings work. It's just that we just give and give and give and give our time, effort, energy, and resources. And when the students learn enough and they choose that it's the right time for them, they can either just make offerings on their own or they can ask the teacher, you know, how can we support you? And if anybody ever decides to do that, then whatever's going on at that particular time, I could let you know. At the same time, as we're ending our class here, just once again, just thank all of you guys for your support over the years. And I appreciate everything that you do to help me to continue to share these teachings in the world because it really does help to make the world a better and better place. And you should be noticing improvement in your life, in your life practice as well. So as a community, we can help each other and we can help lots and lots of other people as we all continue to stay diligent and dedicated to learning and practicing these teachings for our own practice, improving our practice, but then also sharing with others and letting other people come into our community and experience what it's like to learn and practice the teachings of the Buddha. So I'll see you at one of our future classes on Wednesday, we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation. And then next Sunday, we're in chapter 11, which is meditation, developing your practice. We're just going to spend the entire talk discussing all the different facets of meditation. We're not actually going to do meditation on Sunday, but we're going to be discussing it in detail because so far I've been teaching breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation but there's two other kinds of meditation that someone might need in terms of specialized meditation techniques to actually attain enlightenment so we're going to be talking about those and all the other aspects of meditation so 
between Wednesday and Sunday, any meditation questions and anything that you have coming up over the next week, you'll have opportunity to learn and understand and ask those questions. And then of course you can ask questions long into the future, any questions about meditation that you like, but you've got kind of a real nice uh, week here to really dive into the practice of meditation and get any questions that you have as we go through and share more and more of the teachings around meditation. So have a wonderful rest of your day and I'll see you in one of our future classes. Take care. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.